Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 552 of the milk bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show, we will have a survey from KY Jelly. That'll prove very interesting. I'm sure you'll find it both uh, educational and um, educational. Uh, also, we'll be hearing from Quinton Wilson about how you could get an electric car for less than you think as part of the tax changes that come in this April with a salary sacrifice scheme. On top of that, we'll be finding out uh, about a show coming up at the Litchfield Gallic when uh, Nathaniel Hall tells us about first time and... We've also got some brand new music to feature as well. That's all on the way. But first of all, with the release of Method of Murder to coincide with From Vegas to Villainy, we have on the line now author and presenter Jackie Rom. Hello. Hello. How are we doing? I'm doing really good. Very excited. Good stuff. So uh, explain all that is going on because there's a big Amazon Prime thing at the moment, isn't there, in your world? There is, yes. Um, I've got a documentary airing tomorrow on Amazon Prime called Method of Murder. And I'm a author of crime fiction. And it's a documentary that follows me as I research murder. So how to kill someone and get rid of a body in Las Vegas. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those places where there's, there's an awful lot going on in Vegas. So you can kind of imagine that uh, it's it's going to be uh, uh, the sort of place where you can uh, expect the unexpected. You are absolutely right. And that happens all through the documentary. I meet the most amazing amount of unusual people. And I have a go at different things. I have a go at um, digging a grave in the desert. <laughs> right. Now, is that easier yeah, when it's ha- sand rather than soil, I suppose? Okay. I- it, well, yeah, I wanted to see how long it would take for me, for a woman, to try and dig a grave and get rid of a body. Mm-hmm. Um, I shoot a gun. And one of the things I wanted to do was to see how long, if it was possible, for me to get a dead body out of a casino without being caught. <laughs> okay. I can't tell you what happens. You'll have to watch the documentary. Absolutely. Watch the documentary and then be prepared for it to come along in a book. So the book itself is From Vegas to Villainy. It is, and um, you kind of you, are you until you read the book, you won't know what ends up in the book from my research in Vegas. So I, mean, I think this is part of the fun. You've got a mystery surrounding a murder mystery here. I can't, I'm quite liking the sound yes. of this. It's kind of yeah, full circle. The whole point was, I wanted to base this book in Vegas, but uh, I've been to Vegas many times, mm. but I had no idea what happens behind the scenes because I had heard that a casino behind the scenes is just as big as what you see. Yeah. And so um, a, a long story, but eventually I got all access into the D in uh, downtown Vegas. And it was brilliant. And I kind of got all my questions answered by interviewing lots of people. And I'm sure they've all been involved in some of the uh, less than, uh, you know, top level things. Some of the more salubrious side of this. They're very careful. They don't like to even mention the word murder. Right. But, uh, But I kind of, you'll see, I... I kind of get it out of everybody. And I ask lots of different people. I visit a tattoo parlour in LA um, and, 
and I, I can't say too much because I want you to watch, but um, I have a tattoo. I did that <laughs> live and had to interview him while I was being tattooed. I can imagine that was a little painful. Well, I think uh, it wasn't painful, but I think it was probably the adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And also I knew that I only had a certain amount of time to ask these questions and I had to smile and I was on camera. So, <laughs> you know, and, you know, like gritted teeth, I'll be okay type of thing. And this isn't the sort of standard thing your author gets up to. Many of them sit in a quiet cupboard at the back of the uh, the, the house uh, typing away. You oh, seem to I be rather too. more hands-on. No, I'm a really big one for research. Mm -hmm. I've just spent the third book in the series is based in a fictitious island in Essex called Willowwood, um, where it's tidal and you can only get on and off the islands at certain times. So I've just spent uh, about six to eight months in the on the island of Mersey, just mm -hmm. sitting watching and researching, talking to people. And you so do all this around everything else you do. I mean, you're a drama teacher, you're a radio presenter. How on earth do you have time to fit all this in and write books at I the same time? I don't sleep much. <laughs> That's one and way I've just launched a podcast as well, a weekly podcast called The Life of a Crime Novelist. There's, there's no stopping so, you. You're like a modern-day Jessica Fletcher. Well, you, you won't believe this, but people say that my books are a cross between Murder, She Wrote and Agatha Christie. So you got so that, right. yeah, that big level of mystery and uh, and, and a massive reveal. So uh, I mean, both sort of genres uh, with you coming together, they're going to be hugely popular. And I'm sure you've seen a great response to the first in this in this series of books. Yes, it's been fantastic, and I'm really, I'm really lucky. I have fans around the world, and it, it's really interesting how people around the around around the world like different characters. So they'll come and talk to me and tell me all about my characters. It is funny. I really love Sandy, or I like Anne. I've got a Sandy and an Andy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so people have a, you know, they like certain characters or they like where they've been. So, yeah, it's it's been fantastic. It's been really good fun. And it must be great creating this world and then choosing who you get to bump off as well. Yep. And the bumping off bit is the most fascinating bit because I actually know nothing about murder. I've had to investigate. I've spent many, many days with police, uh, forensic, uh, pharmacists, all different people to be able to plan, you know, my grievously bodily harm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so, it's yeah, got to be believable and, and, and it can't be too far-fetched either because there's nothing like a murder mystery where all of a sudden at the end they reveal stuff they couldn't possibly have known. So Absolutely. Yeah, that's not your um, way, is it? I also don't like my readers to find out till the very end, if possible. So there's always red herrings along the way, and they're fun to write, <laughs> the red herrings. Well, you keep them guessing. So what we're looking out for is on Amazon Prime, Method of Murder, which is yep. Jackie Rom exploring Vegas and finding out some tips on what to do. The book, is the which is, is this the second in the series? It is. So the series is the Sandra Bernstein Chronicles, mm -hmm. and the second book is Villainy to Vegas, which came after the documentary. Okay, and then the first book is called? 
from makeup to murder, and that happens in the Caribbean. Okay, so hopefully there was a good holiday. Sorry, research trip involved in that one as well. Oh, of course there was. Yeah, I was in the Caribbean for six months. <laughs> it's, a, it's hard work life, isn't it? Being an author, but there we go. Yeah, and we can find out all about you online as well as checking out on Amazon Prime. What's your you website? Turn on JackieRom.com. JackieRom.com. J A C K Y R O M. So uh, check out all the details there. But to uh, say, do click on your Amazon Prime. Check out Method of Murder and see how it all comes together to start creating the second in this series of books Jackie lovely speaking to you keep up the good work and we look forward to an ongoing series between now and uh, many many years to come thank you I appreciate it let's take some music now on the milk bar this is Will Perdue there's nothing left to be said Nothing left to be said There's nothing standing in our way You're still holding on To something that's gone I wouldn't wish that on anyone I've escaped my past but you still find tracks I'm not ever going back Escaping life, it'll kill you 
when it's right I guess I'll see you on the other side From the EP Call My Name, that's Nothing Left To Be Said by Will Perdue. First time is in the studio at the Litchfield Garrick on the 7th of February. Nathan Hall is the gentleman who is performing this show. However, there's a life story behind it and Nathaniel joins me on the line now to tell me something of the background. Good afternoon. Hello, how are you doing? I'm okay, how are you all? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Now, this all stemmed uh, from first time, and it's looking at a first-time sexual experience. And for you, this was life-changing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So um, when I was sixteen, and I was just kind of, um, uh, kind of understanding and realizing that I was different to other people, I realized that, um, that I was having, uh, I was gay, that I was having feelings towards you know men, and um, just as I was kind of exploring that, I met a guy. Um, uh, uh, who was older than me, and we started a relationship. Um, you've got to remember that, that 2003, we're going back to here, so I, I lived all the way through Section 28 at school, so kind of dealing with these feelings and stuff and, and, and representation of gay people wasn't that great growing up. I grew up in quite a homophobic school environment, so when this guy kind of showed me attention, it was really, really validating, and we went into this relationship, but as a result of that, um, unfortunately, I contracted um, HIV from that sexual, that sexual experience. And this has been seen really in a, a very negative light. Um, obviously, nobody wants to find themselves with a virus, particularly one which can you know, cause the devastation that HIV has done. We are fortunately beginning to live in a world which is very different, but the, the, you know, the rug must have felt like it was pulled from underneath you when you got that news. Yeah, it did. I mean, if, again, you know, go back to 2003, HIV by that point was a treatable condition. Um, medication was around and was very effective at keeping people healthy and well. Um, but I was told at that time that I had a prognosis around 37 to 40 years. So that meant I was looking at, you know, living into my mid-50s maybe. So to be confronted with that kind of your own mortality at such a young age was, was pretty devastating, to be honest. Um, I mean, now people, and I am, certainly going to live um, a near normal life expectancy um, and medication has improved so much that now you can't even pass on the virus if you're on effective medication which is incredible um, but back you know back then yeah, that was that was a traumatic experience to kind of receive that diagnosis and um, and really what I kind of did was go into a little bit of denial really I, I kind of um, put it in the box and put it on a shelf and, and kind of went that's it that's happened and I'm just going to get on with my life um, and what I didn't realise was that actually, over time, um, not kind of dealing with that trauma was starting to affect other parts of my life and my mental well-being and my mental health and impact in other areas like my relationship and my career as well. Yeah, I mean, particularly when it comes down to HIV, it is these days much more a non-visible disease. We go back to when you first contracted it, maybe a little bit earlier, People who were suffering from the condition had uh, maybe a, a more of a gaunt look. There were issues uh, surrounding various parts of health that wasn't being treated in maybe quite the right way. And, and things have changed and moved on, as we've said. But 
it you know now I'm sure that although it's not a complete epidemic in the UK, we will probably all have met someone with HIV and not known about it. Yeah, of course, yeah, completely. And um, and I think one of the, the main things, lots of people who, who live with HIV and people who work in kind of HIV charities will tell you that HIV is now a, a, an illness, uh, a stigma, um, and it's a very, it's a very high, um, highly stigmatized condition. Um, and and that stigma and discrimination really is kind of what causes, for the most part, in my, in my experience, causes the most distress. Um, the judgment that is placed on people who have contracted HIV, um, and then also the the treatment that they might might get from uh, uh, you know potential partners, um, sexual partners in the future, um, uh, is the is the main thing that really really impacts now on people's lives, and that's why um, kind of with the show and everything that I'm doing with my activism, um, I wanted to kind of change that narrative. So I didn't tell so many people, but I haven't tell my family for 14 years. Um, I was living in complete secrecy and, and actually the, that stigma and that shame that snowballed so much to the point where I was, uh, you know, I was kind of, I was partying all the time. I was um, kind of not really looking after myself and my mental health was taking a real tumble and I thought something has to shift and change. And so I did the complete opposite and went very, very public. And I'm kind of now advocating for a world where people with HIV can just say it as normally as if you've, like say you've got diabetes or asthma, which mm-hmm. you know actually in fact HIV is is easier to treat than diabetes. Yeah, I, I think, and, and attitudes I think within probably the gay community have changed quite a lot with things like prep. So it's it's almost as if now it doesn't so much worry somebody to pick up a condition, which. I'm sure at the age of 16, before you had actually contracted it, you were aware of and were probably already quite scared of the, of the thought of it even then. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, I mean, sex education wasn't great. <laughs> um, going back, I mean, like I say, I was I, I left school in 2003, which is actually when Section 28, which was the legislation that stopped schools from talking about homosexuality um, openly, was lifted. So, so we did have a little bit of sex education and, and kind of sex education on, on uh, kind of being gay and relationship education. But, um, and I knew what HIV was. And I'd had that conversation with my mum as well when, when we sort of had the discussion that I was gay around that time. So, yeah, I was, I was aware of HIV and I was um, scared, but I wasn't quit um, specifically in that, in, in that uh, relationship to kind of uh, say what I wanted sexually or what I didn't want sexually or whether I'd introduce a condom or not and actually what I really do what I'm really advocating for now particularly working with young people is getting them to understand um, their their sense of self-worth in a sexual situation that they can say no um, if they want at any point um, and helping people to kind of not be fearful around sex but, it, but, but to understand that they have um, the agency to choose the type of sex that they want and should be able to do that. I really didn't feel like I had that and I felt like it was taken away from me at quite a young age. Yeah, and, and people often find themselves in what seem like great relationships but are, are, are toxic if you were to take a, a step back and look from the outside. And when you're in that position, it can sometimes be difficult to feel empowered in the way in which you're talking about here. So somebody needs to say something and, and that that's part of, of what you're doing with this talk. Um, but certainly, this is going to be something which has got highs uh, as well as the understandable lows. 
Yeah, of course, yeah. And the, and the show itself shows time. Um, lots of people have, uh, you know, it gets described as hilarious and heartbreaking in equal measure. And someone else described it as a, an emotional roller coaster. And my favourite was an emotional tumble dryer. <laughs> so um, you're never really far from, um, from a, a laugh within the show itself. Um, that's really important for me in terms of an artist and to make us my audience that we feel safe and um, that we can have, you know, we can, we can go to some dark places but still kind of have a laugh because there is humour in the darkest of places. Um, and, and yeah, you know, people ask me, is anything in the show completely true? And I'm like, 100%, you know, real life is stranger than fiction, definitely. Okay, so we can expect the unexpected, and a, a story of uh, a, a really much, a very much a rite of passage as well. I'm sure through uh, what you've been through in your time, and particularly as you, you've grown uh, around this. And to be fair, I mean, you without HIV isn't the you that is now. I mean, you would be probably uh, a, a less empowered person if it hadn't been for this. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because my my mom. Uh, I told my family like I said um, about two years ago and my mum said something similar and actually um, you know making this show and becoming kind of um, a HIV activist has really has really made huge changes in my life um, in terms of uh, the relationships that I'm in in terms of my career itself you know obviously um, I was I was playing life small beforehand because I was living in quite a lot of shame and secrecy and now now I'm very public about my my diagnosis. Um, like uh, lots of positive things have started to happen, and then as a result of the show, which um, which has received incredible success and coverage when we were took it to Edinburgh Fringe last year. Um, but as a result of that, you know, I've been um, I was cast in uh, Russell T Davis's new TV drama um, Boys, which I've been filming, which is like a, just a dream come true. I sort of feel like I have to pinch myself. <laughs> I feel like I'm leading someone else's life, and it. It's crazy when I look back and go for 14 years, I let that for shame. And the resulting anxiety and PTSD from that diagnosis kind of controlled my life. But actually, as soon as I reclaim what happens to me in this work, um, so many good things have, have come of it. Well, I mean, have uh, an excellent tour. I'm sure the audience will both appreciate and be entertained by the show at the same time as really getting an understanding into the story behind and the, the life that's followed since uh, and will go on, as we say, for many, many years to come undaunted by uh, the condition that you have. It is on Friday the 7th of February. It is at the Litchfield Garrick. LitchfieldGarrick.com to get your tickets or you can call the box office on 01543 412121. That's 01543 412121. This is very much a, a story of your life, as you say, true life being stranger than fiction. But uh, I'm hoping a story, a story that you're proud to tell now. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, one of the things, although it is, you know, specifically my story, a gay man's story, um, and, you know, my experience in protecting HIV, what people tell us when they see the show is how, how it hits them on a personal level. It's got universal themes about coming of age, you know, first love, um, betrayal, you know, all the kind of things that connect to people's lives. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to be bringing it to the Garrick in Litchfield, and I hope lots of people there. Well, Nathaniel Hall, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. This March sees the release of the next single from Deviant Robots. It's called Rock, Paper, Scissors. Here's a bit of a preview for you. Rock, 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 rock.
people how they should live their lives, what they should be doing and what they can achieve, then they will have a rock, paper or scissors and put you in your place. No one's untouchable. That's rock, paper, scissors from the deviant robots. Fewer than one in ten British motorists are aware of the financial incentives available for them to go electric. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Paul Gilshan, CEO of Tusker, and Quinton Wilson. Good afternoon to you both. Hello. Hi. Now, aside of everything else, in the past, electric cars haven't seemed to be that cool or that pretty. Many of them seeming to look like a milk float. But that's all changed, hasn't it, Quinton? Completely. I mean, the the early days, car manufacturers realised that actually we don't want to make these electric cars look different from everything else. We've got to make them look just like everything else. So you've got cars like the the Teslas and the Jaguar I-Pace, which are now getting a really distinctive, sexy, desirable identity. So it's like all these other urban myths, Jason, about electric cars. They're falling away, you know, dozens and dozens of um, at the time. And Today is, is, is really significant for, for me because after campaigning for 10 years for electric car take-up, they are now, thanks to government incentives, cheaper to buy or cheaper to lease than an electric, uh, than a petrol or diesel car. And that, that, that's always been the big barrier, that it's, it's seen as a rich man's car. Now um, it, it, it's really, really affordable. So this sacrifice scheme, salary sacrifice scheme, um, allows you from April to lease an electric car and it'd be cheaper than a petrol or diesel. So there's a, there's a real massive incentive there. And these cars have been rethought very often from the ground up uh, you know, to the way in which the dashboard controls work. You look at something like the Tesla, it's like a spaceship in there because they've had to think about how to use the energy, whereas in the past it didn't matter. The petrol engine was churning it out. Yeah, I mean, people say, all oh, that tech, I'm not sure. It is so instinctive. I mean, the Tesla is a case in point that you sit and it's just an iPad. And I think on the Model 3, there is one movable button on the dashboard. That's <laughs> it. It's a little kind of mouse thing. But it within, oh, five minutes, you, you, you work it all out because it just makes complete sense. And you, you've even got the key in your pocket. It's a card. You don't ever need to lock the car because it locks it automatically for you and opens it. And all this sort of stuff, which you go... Wow, my life is so much simpler because of all this. Mm. Now, Paul, when it comes to uh, actually getting your hands on one of these things, uh, you've done a survey that shows that uh, more than uh, 30% of drivers feel an electric vehicle is the only only useful people to do a few miles. So there's a few perceptions that need to change there based on the survey that you've just done. Yeah, when, when um, we, we both work in the car industry and we're constantly having to um, bust these myths about um, electric cars, whether it's from range to how cool they look and to how secure they are. Um, and all our drivers, um, we all know that they never run out of, um, never run out of electric um, and they love the car they're in and they will not switch back. What the research showed was a couple of things. One that they thought that the range anxiety was still there and we get that. And the other thing was that they believe that uh, currently um, electrics are for um, only the rich, that you know, anybody in the UK that has been priced out of this market and what, what we love about our product is it gives anybody in the UK that uh, that uh, uh, works for a company the, the chance to take an electric the cheapest way without a deposit. So our product comes with uh, insurance included, breakdown cover, MOT, replacement tires, replacement windscreen, all without having to pay a deposit. And the insurance is a big thing because electric premiums um, through retail insurance brokers are quite expensive, but we cover that cost as well. So I'd urge our listeners to, you know, they might already have... Um, a scheme through us already. You know, we've got a few NHS and South Staffordshire Water also have a scheme with us. 
Um, but if you don't have it, just talk to the employer and say, you know, I'm really interested in getting an electric car. And um, because the employer can then reduce the CO2 emissions for every car in the car park. And I know that um, everybody uh, in the UK and there's lots of towns and councils are really trying to drive down emissions in order to help uh, the government incentives to reduce emissions. What I'm glad to see is that the government are really supporting this product and uh, making it easier for anyone in the UK to drive an electric car. And Paul's right. It is absolutely anybody, because even if you're a you know 20% uh, tax rare, taxpayer, you can have something like an electric mini sitting in your drive for £234 a month. And as Paul says, that includes insurance, maintenance, all those other bills that you would normally have to pay. And don't forget, you won't be paying any petrol. So it's got to the stage where it's it's kind of a no-brainer. You've got to do this. <laughs> it does seem to help. And obviously, I think... A lot of people's concern when it's an early take-up on something like this is how good's the battery going to be? What am I going to end up having to fork out if I'm buying this thing outright? And, and what will its resale value be? When you're leasing, okay, so you know what you're going to spend. You don't have to worry about any of that because it is leased. So you can just hand it back. You can buy the car at the end of the, the, the lease period if you want, or you just hand it back and then grade up to another one, which will be even newer tech. So again, all those kind of doubts and uncertainties, should I, shouldn't I, are wiped away you don't have to actually own that car. You just pay, like your phone, a monthly payment, and then you just plug it in. So it, this is a kind of a real, real, real game-changing moment. It's it's the Netflix for cars. <laughs> I love the, I love the savings that you get and, and that we offer to our drivers. Um, but actually, the biggest thing um, on why they love um, taking cars is that everything is included. And you wonder why... You know, when people have to go to garages, sort out their own MOT, when they worry when they get a puncture because their wheel is going to cost them £200, um, all of that is included. That peace of mind is a massive thing. And windscreens, all everything. I know, chip windscreens. Yeah. You know, one of the, on our new cars, chip windscreens is one of the biggest things that happens because um, I've stolen my chip um, on the motorway. And if you replace that as part of the bill, um, or punctures, punctures are a big one. They're quite heavy cars now. Um, so, yeah, all of it included um, really helps people have peace of mind, knowing exactly how much is coming out of uh, their salary uh, each month um, and not having to worry, but also driving down emissions. So that kind of double whammy of, I save money, mm -hmm. um, but I also reduce emissions. And Quentin, when it comes to setting this sort of stuff up at home, uh, obviously an outdoor socket is going to be blooming useful at this point, isn't it? It is. You can't put it in. Well, you can charge it in your old three-pin uh, three yeah. 13 amp MK. It takes a long time. But look, the, 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 you get incentives for your wall box as well. The government will pay 75% of the cost of putting in a wall box in your house. Um, and that, that it's really, really easy. And that's up to about 500 quid. Um, so you might have to pay 200 pounds for this wall box. And then you charge that. It's a seven kilowatt. It'll charge it. My Nissan Leaf, I'm back to 100% in about four hours. So it's really easy. The only problem is if obviously you, you, you don't have a driveway or a, a, a car, car parking space, you've got to rely on, on, on lamppost charging and stuff like that. But it's getting better and better and better. And we will see inductive loop charging, charging soon where there's a, a pad on the ground that, that, that charges your car. And you've got rapid chargers where you can go to a, an EV hub um, and charge a car in 30, 45 minutes um, and then drive drive it home. So that whole thing has changed. And in the 10 years I've been driving electric cars, you know, the, the transformation is amazing. You're never more than kind of 50 miles away from a charger now. I think also we see that um, people don't charge as often as you think. You know, I, I drive an electric car and um, I, ch I charge it every 10 days mm -hmm. um, just because you're not driving as many miles as you actually think. So it's um, for real 
um, life electric uh, vehicle users, it's not as big an issue as people make out. And a little bit of planning is, you know, it's only like trying to work out where the nearest petrol station is going to be. <laughs> and people will drive miles to get the cheapest petrol, probably outdoing the way the, the savings are. There's made, always so. an app for that. There is. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, you know, the liberation of not having to drive miles for uh, the cheapest petrol and not having to go to petrol station at all mm-hmm. is incredible. I mean, you've, you've just got to have it. You just laugh at petrol stations. You drive fast with these people queuing up and trying to save a penny. Um, and, and you will save on an electric car about two to three thousand pounds a year in fuel. And I spoke to somebody earlier on today who was paying 234 pounds at least in fuel every month. And that's the price of getting a brand new Mini. Uh, uh, on, on, on Tusker's lease deal. So it, it's just a no-brainer now. You, you you can't afford not to look at this seriously. Well, uh, yeah, I, I am you know, convinced that uh, this is the way forward. I want my next car to be electric. I'm kind of running this one into the ground at the moment until such time as we get there. But by the sound of things, there's uh, some really easy ways of making sure that it's something that is uh, affordable, both for us and, most importantly, for the planet as well. So, uh, Paul, where can we go to find out more? Well, I reckon WCRFM uh, needs to get a scheme in place so we can talk like after the call. Um, <laughs> if uh, if uh, definitely employees, they should talk to their employers about um, taking a car scheme um, on salary sacrifice because it's only available um, through uh, employment as a benefit and a trusted benefit. So, you know, we know that our employers um, love offering cars um, to uh, to their employees. So that it's not just a, it's not just the higher salaries in uh, in companies that get a company car. Secondly, uh, do your own research, talk to EV drivers. There's loads of information on our website, tuskercars.com, T-U-S-K-E-R, cars.com, where we talk about some of the myths that need busting. Um, We can show you how easy it is to take a car from us um, or um, just educate your uh, your employers on how they can take a scheme from us. And I've got a a website, Jason, um, evhub.co.uk, where we've also got a lot of information about charging infrastructure, how to charge, uh, myths, and, and, and the general whole electric market. So it's it's out there. The information's really, really easily available. So your 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 viewers, your 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 listeners should do the research because it's out there. Well, Quentin Wilson and Paul Gilsham, CEO of Tusker, thank you both for joining us. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Bye. On the 31st of January, we see the release of the new single from Danish Music Award nominee Ida Winnow. And it's got a little dash to the O, so I'm probably mispronouncing that really badly. Not as badly as I'm going to pronounce the name of the single, which is Vomerland. Vermeland deep in the snow Lost among trees and icy rivers Layers fall soft in the
I do know here on The Milk Bar. Being proactive about your health not only helps your well-being, but it can also lead to a more fulfilling time in the bedroom too. To tell us more, we're joined now by Lucy Beresford, uh, the TV agony aunt. Hello. Hello, Jason. How's, uh, how's your world? Well, it's full of talking about sex, really, so it's uh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a survey that's been done by KY Jelly. So uh, they, they certainly have an interest in this area. They do. And one of the really interesting things is that because they, one of their products is uh, a lubricant, is lubrication, what they're really highlighting is the fun side of sex. And with this research, they have identified that a very large cohort of people are not only very health conscious about their body, their nutrition, how much exercise they take every week, but what they discovered through the research is that these people are happier now with their sex lives than they've ever been. And I think that's extremely important to recognize is that if you put this amazing energy out there to love your life and love yourself, you're going to have more energy available to love your partner and be more intimate. Now, that's great, obviously. Mm -hmm. But the flip side of that is that the whole sort of 28 percent of people that we interviewed for the research actually find sex a chore. They find it a very negative experience for one reason or another. And it's those people we really want to, to target because sex is fun. It is something that brings a lot of value to your life and really enhances your well-being. So why would you not be having more sex? Absolutely. As long as it's with a consenting partner, everyone's a winner. Correct. It's a win-win. But, of course, different people bring different issues to the bedroom. And for some people, it's around perhaps body confidence and feeling good about themselves. And for other people, it might be that they've just been in a relationship for a very long time, or it just could be the pressures of modern life. You know what it's like, you get very stressed, you're scrolling through your phone all the time. Maybe you just want to flop out on the sofa and binge watch telly all the time. But what we're here to say is, if you pay attention to your sex life, if you put you know, some really positive energy there. And also a little bit of a little bit of TLC in the form of maybe some lubrication. KY Jelly makes obviously a very well-known brand of lubrication. You can make your sex very playful, very spontaneous and, and make it fun. And when people are you know, engaging in this, all this sort of stuff, uh, you're burning calories as well. So, you know, it is definitely a win-win, isn't it? Well, you know, it's not just that as well. You're absolutely right. There are a few calories that can be burned by bouncing up and down. But at the same time, even having an orgasm releases such good feel-good hormones that your quality of sleep is often improved. I mean, and sometimes you don't even need to have a partner because obviously from masturbation, you can get the same effect. So there are really uh, important physiological benefits to having a healthy sex life, but also psychologically. It just makes you feel connected with your partner, makes you feel desired. There is nothing more exciting than feeling desired by another person. And certainly for men as well, uh, that release can actually help with their prostate health too. You're absolutely right. And of course, all the concerns about prostate cancer and whether these sorts of things are diagnosed, if you can maintain good prostate health, uh, and um, one thing I would say is, in addition to that, always talk to your GP about getting tested. You know, the younger you can initiate some tests, the more likely we are to catch prostate cancer early, and then you've got better chances of recovery. But certainly, there's a lot of things adding up to say it's certainly worthwhile uh, yeah, putting the effort in in many ways. But equally, no, yeah, it's somebody that you love, somebody who loves you. So don't be having too many hang-ups on, on body image. 
Yes. Now, uh, you know, it's all very well for you and me to say don't have any hang-ups. It, body confidence is a, is a very complicated issue, and some people do suffer from it, uh, which is why I wouldn't necessarily be arguing that people should be having, you know, extremely um, dramatic, swinging from the chandeliers, penetrative sex, if what you've been used to is maybe having sex once a month. But the key thing is that you can do so many other things with your partner that just boost your own confidence. This is why the health-conscious people that the KY Jelly Research identified are, are kind of onto a winner here because they're putting a lot of love into their own body, into their own environment, and that pays it forward for their sex life as well. Mm -hmm. But just skin-on-skin -skin contact, more hug, hugs, more cuddles, more stroking, more massaging, all of that can be really, really important in your relationship. Yeah, well, 61% say they're having sex at least once a week, 23% indulge at least once a month. So, you know, that group of people, they are certainly enjoying an intimate time together. They're enjoying an intimate time and that in itself is enhancing their sense of well-being because, again, the psychological effect of knowing that someone adores you or that somebody is aroused by you, it's an incredible feeling. But we, we allow real life to get in the way in a funny way. We, you know, we're scrolling through our phones. We've got all of these work commitments that we're juggling with our family and sex can often slide down the to-do list. In fact, it can become a chore people think oh i've got to have it or you know my my partner's always on at me so they, they're obviously talking to each other is really important because you need to know that you're on the same page with this it may be that your partner is absolutely fine with you only having sex once every three months but if you're really keen to have it once or twice a week you need to put your libido first you need to take it seriously because if you don't no one else will so where can we go for more information on all of this? Because I'm sure the rest of the KY Jelly's findings are going to be uh, interesting. Absolutely. There's so much more to read about. Uh, KY Jelly UK has got not only an Instagram account, but also a Facebook page. And there you can find out the information about the research that they conducted, but also just information about how to keep your relationship on track. So, uh, yeah, have time for each other and make sure that uh, everything is well lubricated. It would be a good start. Absolutely. Lubrication in all things. OK, I'm convinced. Lucy Beresford, TV's Agony Art, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jason. Time for one final song now here on The Milk Bar. The Moods have delivered a stunning acoustic version of their single, Strong. It's out now on A1M Records, and this is what it sounds like. strong Keep on keeping strong
On a CD can say we describe Positivity is what I'm on to say at this vibe Forget revenge mate, I ain't trying to pin stripes I'm just trying to do me so I Keep on keeping strong stars cropping up, I just see it as how it is Choosing to be wound up, come down off your power trip This is a bad minute but it's still your hour kid Look I'ma find a power runner Keep on keeping strong Cause when the chips are down I gotta go with them dealings But I get letting them feelings get in the way of proceedings And I get Leaving the demons to get away with the scheme and look, I'ma stand up and keep on keeping strong. I stand for what I believe in, and you won't sit me down. Like X said, you can come and fit the crown. I'm on my feet and I'm moving along, and I do believe that I found a place I belong. Keep on, keep on. Keep on keeping strong You know you gotta keep on keeping strong That's the moods and strong here on the Milk Bar. I hope you've enjoyed having listened to some brand new music this week. Because that's your lot for this week. Back with episode 553 next week. Look forward to having you along then. See you soon. To for now. Goodbye from the Milk Bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the Milk Bar. Yeah.